This is a podcast by the Business Times. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the BT Mark to Market podcast. My name is Ben Paul, and I'm a senior correspondent at the Business Times. This series of podcasts, which is based on my weekly column in the Business Times, aims to provide analysis and insight on market trends and corporate issues in Singapore. We are in the month of March 2022, and the biggest news story right now is Russia's ongoing invasion of Ukraine. At this point, as we're recording on the 11th of March, events are unfolding from one day to the next, and the effect on the market of Vladimir Putin's special military operation, as he calls it, is very dynamic. And a lot of it revolves around the expectation that energy prices are going to be very elevated for some time. Clearly, that's going to weigh on global growth and exacerbate inflationary pressures. Of course, there are also going to be bullish trading opportunities in shares of energy companies, commodity suppliers, and even defense contractors. But in general terms, high energy prices, inflation, and hence rising interest rates are probably going to be broadly negative for economic growth and financial assets. So investors should tread carefully. This is a topic we're going to keep coming back to as events unfold. But what I wanted to talk about today is how the invasion of Ukraine could influence the thinking of investors and corporate boards on the issue of geopolitical risk. This sounds like a really arcane topic, but it really isn't. Shifting geopolitics is something investors and corporate boards need to be discussing, along with environmental, social and governance factors, or ESG factors, in order to mitigate risk. And much like ESG, geopolitics has the potential to become a powerful mobilizer of capital flows. In this podcast, I will talk about the manner in which some high-profile companies have reacted to the invasion of Ukraine over the last couple of weeks and delve into their possible motivations. I'll talk about how the invasion of Ukraine has pulled the issue of shifting geopolitics sharply into focus, and I will look into how coping with geopolitical risk could evolve by relating it to sustainable investing. Just before Russian tanks began rolling into Ukraine last month, some analysts were downplaying the significance of what was happening. The US and its allies were indicating quite clearly at that point that they would do nothing more than impose sanctions on Russia. And the view at the time was that Russia would quickly remove Ukraine's government and that would be the end of the story. Some analysts told me that the invasion was unlikely to divert investor attention for too long from the post-pandemic economic recovery that has lifted global markets over the past year. But this hasn't been the case. Going by news reports, the Russian forces haven't made as much progress as expected, and they have faced much stronger resistance than expected in Ukraine. And although the US and its allies have limited themselves to imposing sanctions on Russia, the invasion seems to have galvanized support for very tough sanctions, even though those sanctions will have an adverse impact on Western economies. Some of the largest US and European companies seem to have joined this campaign now. Just a few days after the invasion began, the oil giant BP said it will exit its nearly 20% shareholding in Rosneft. This was a significant move. The carrying value of BP's stake in Rosneft, as at the end of 2021, was 14 billion US dollars. Shortly after that, another big oil company, Shell, announced plans to exit its joint ventures with Gazprom and end its involvement in Nord Stream 2, a gas pipeline stretching from Russia to Germany. Shell said that it had about 3 billion US dollars in non-current assets in these Russian ventures, as at end 2021, 
and that it expects its pullout to lead to impairments that impact the book value of its assets in Russia. Then a whole bunch of other companies announced similar moves. Chipmaker Intel has announced that it will suspend shipments to customers in Russia and Belarus. Apple and Dell are reportedly going to stop selling their products in Russia. Disney is reported to have halted film releases to Russia. And of course, Warner Media has paused the release of the Batman movie in Russia. These companies have all couched the action they have taken as a form of support for Ukraine and a condemnation of Russia's invasion. But these companies are really acting out of self-interest, in my view. For one thing, they will face tremendous pressure from their customers and other stakeholders in the West if they remain in Russia and continue contributing to its economy. In fact, Fast Retailing, which owns the Uniqlo clothing brand, came under fire for initially refusing to pull out of Russia, while its competitors like Zara and H&M suspended operations. Fast Retailing defended itself at first by declaring that it's opposed to the war, but that clothing is a necessity of life and that Russian people have the right to live like people elsewhere in the world. But the company has since said it will close its stores in Russia and even end online sales. In the end, every company is going to have to make a decision on whether it is in their own long-term interest to remain in Russia. One reason so many of them are pulling out at this particular moment is because the opportunity cost isn't really that high. The sanctions assembled by the US and its allies will make it very difficult to do business in Russia, possibly for a very long time. Among other things, the US dollar assets of Russia's central bank have been frozen, and some Russian banks have been excluded from SWIFT, the international payment system. The Russian ruble has plummeted about 40% against the US dollar since the invasion began, and interest rates in Russia have soared. With Russia's economy under pressure and its consumer market crumbling, what does a company like Apple really stand to lose by walking away now, especially as its competitors are likely to be under pressure to follow suit? Similarly, what are companies like BP and Shell really giving up by pulling out of Russia given the efforts by Western governments to lock Russia out of the international financial system and even ban the import of Russian oil. As it is, Germany has actually halted the certification of the Nord Stream 2 pipeline, which, as I mentioned earlier, Shell is involved in. It also seems unlikely that BP would be able to hold on to its stake in Rosneft without suffering a backlash from its shareholders as the body count in Ukraine mounts in the weeks and months ahead. Russia's invasion of Ukraine could well be a catalyst of sorts for institutional investors and companies to closely examine the risks of operating in other countries that are not fully committed to a rules-based international order. Indeed, this ought to be part and parcel of their commitment to mitigating ESG risks, which I'm going to talk about next. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. And now back to our podcast episode. Some years ago, while discussing the topic of responsible investing, a senior official at a very old Swiss bank proudly told me that one of the bank's early partners had warned his clients in 1841 to avoid exposure to American businesses that relied on slave labor. The advice was very timely. Abraham Lincoln issued the Emancipation Proclamation in 1863. And the 13th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution, which outlawed slavery, was ratified in 1865. But it was never clear to me if the point of this anecdote was that business leaders ought to act on their moral convictions, or that they should simply be capable of recognizing unsustainable business practices. 
Looking back now, what I choose to take away from that story is that investors and financiers may well be very good at recognizing and handicapping sustainability risks, but they aren't the real drivers of change. Steering capital away from the American South wasn't what brought an end to slavery in the US. It took a bloody civil war for that abhorrent practice to finally be abolished. Fast forward to the present day, and one of the biggest trends in the market is the notion that investors should weigh ESG factors alongside financial returns when deploying capital. Companies are increasingly expected to provide information on how their business activities impact the environment and society and develop strategies to mitigate any negative externalities. Here in Singapore, from this year onwards, all public listed companies have to provide climate reporting in their sustainability reports on a comply or explain basis. The purpose of these rules is to ensure Singapore listed companies have globally consistent, comparable and reliable climate-related disclosures, which will enable them to attract the growing pool of global capital directed at the sustainability theme. But despite this progress mobilizing capital towards the cause of sustainability, and despite all the evidence that there is a positive correlation between financial returns and ESG factors, decarbonization targets are ultimately driven by governments, because embracing sustainability actually does involve big trade-offs, which profit-maximizing companies might not be willing to make until the rules actually change. Now, compare and contrast that with what's happening on the geopolitical front. Russia and China, which has been an ally of sorts to Russia, were not unknown foes of the US and its allies. Given the reports of Russian meddling in US presidential elections, given the US-China trade war in recent years, and trends like the delisting of China tech stocks from US exchanges, it seems strange that there wasn't already more debate and discussion in the market and corporate boardrooms about the risks faced by US and European companies doing business in countries like China and Russia, and vice versa. Now that it's clear what Vladimir Putin is capable of, and that the US and its allies are prepared to really turn the screws on his regime, the corporate sector is reacting very quickly. Going forward, international investors could become a lot more wary of companies with exposure to Eastern Europe as well as China. Mitigating the risk of being exposed to China would, of course, be a major challenge because of the size of China's economy and the degree to which it's integrated with the rest of the world. Yet investors and companies should not be complacent. The US and Europe's willingness to act against Russia, despite needing its fuel supplies, demonstrates that economic interdependence only counts for so much when push comes to shove. To be clear, I'm not suggesting investors or companies should avoid China or any other country because of geopolitical shifts. Nor would I suggest that investors get out of oil and gas companies simply because of the rise of an ESG-oriented approach to doing business. And by the way, it's worth pointing out that oil companies have been among the best performing stocks this year because of rising oil prices. What I am saying is that investors and companies ought to recognize and try to mitigate the risks of shifting geopolitics. We live in an increasingly multipolar world where different countries have varying levels of commitment to a rules-based international order. In the end, for investors, a lot will depend on micro factors, such as the financial condition of specific companies and the valuations at which their stocks trade, as well as a host of macroeconomic issues. I would also add that geopolitical shifts may not necessarily mean lower stock returns. Over the long term, companies that take active measures to address geopolitical risks 
may well turn out to be the better performers, much like how companies that pay attention to ESG issues are also proving to be the better performers. In fact, shifting geopolitics could well create growth opportunities for certain companies. For instance, in the wake of what's happening in Ukraine, a lot of smaller countries here in Asia, as well as around the world, might want to ensure that they have a credible military force. That's potentially good news for a company like ST Engineering. The current shift in geopolitics could also be a positive factor for a company like Semcorp Marine. One of the key challenges Sam Marine has faced is competitive pressure from China. But given how the world has changed over the last couple of weeks, Sam Marine could now be more appealing to customers in the West, as well as to investors in the West. In short, while nobody has been able to stop Vladimir Putin from invading Ukraine, there is a lot that investors and companies can do to adapt to the resulting shifts in geopolitics. That's it for this episode of Mark to Market. You can follow my Mark to Market podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. That was a podcast by The Business Times. Send your feedback to podcast at sph.com.sg. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. For more podcasts by The Straits Times, The Business Times, and Money FM 89.3, you can also download the audio by SPH app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Do note, all analyses, opinions, recommendations, and other information in this podcast are for your general information only. You should not rely on them in making any decision. Please consult a fully qualified financial advisor or professional expert for independent advice and verification. To the fullest extent permitted by law, SPH Media shall not be liable for any loss arising from the use of or reliance on any analyses, opinions, recommendations, and other information in this podcast. SPH Media accepts no responsibility or liability whatsoever that may result or arise from the products, services, or information of any third parties.